I hope you guys are having a great week and excited to dive in today. Um, One of the first things I want to say today is uh, it's it's super, super exciting that we start a new season here as we enter this fall season of, of small groups. And so uh, if you don't know, if, you, if you're not in a small group at this point, I wanna make sure you know that today is your day to begin to get connected. They start on August 23rd. And so you've got another week here to kind of uh, get connected with a group. My hope for this series has been uh, that it would help you see the importance really of developing friendships that that help you grow closer to Jesus and, and really encouraging you to put yourself in those positions. Uh, and, and, and that's what wise people do. They, you don't just haphazardly kind of stumble upon a, a lifelong friend. It doesn't just happen. Uh, you've got to put yourself in the right place and you've got to begin to, to, to be willing to open up and develop uh, those friendships. And, and uh, sometimes when we start a small group or you start something new like that, uh, a lot of times it's a little intimidating because uh, you, you might start a group with people that you don't really know. And so we all have people in our life where we, uh, you know, we kind of know who they are, but we don't really know them. Uh, and you might see them at church or in the community and, and, you know, you don't know much about them, but you know their face. You might remember their name and, and you can kind of have a cordial, you know, five second conversation, maybe a minute long. You know, it's, it's just simply an acquaintance. And so an acquaintance, though, is like a level three type friendship, right? Uh, you don't know much about their family. Uh, you might just know a little bit about them. Um, and, and you would say, yeah, I can have a conversation with them. I, I, I kind of know who they are, but you're, you're not really connected on, on any level. But this is not a negative thing. It's not a negative thing because we need acquaintances in our life. And, and the reason why we need that entry-level acquaintance is because it's out of somebody that you kind of know that you can kind of step into that level two, a little bit deeper relationship uh, that I would just call a companion. Now, a companion is someone that you can easily talk to. You spend time with this person. Uh, you talk about sports and weather. You can talk about your family, but it's still kind of a surface level conversation. You're not yet t- talking about like real problems in your life. You're not talking about your financial problems or marital problems with this person. You're not talking about spiritual things with this person. It's just simply something that uh, someone that you are, are, can easily get along with. This is kind of a, a buddy. You you know? and, and so those are important though. That type of relationship is important. That companion is important because it's out of that companion that you really have an opportunity to develop a real friendship. It's out of a companionship that you and I actually can allow a friendship to exist. Now, a friendship is that level one relationship. This is someone that you're really connected to. And today, I really wanna spend some time unpacking really what a friend actually does. I wanna challenge you to actually think about your own friendships and, and I want you to examine your friendships because at the end of the day, as I kind of unpack some of these concepts, you're gonna, you, you might be thinking right now, man, I've got a lot of friendships. I don't need any friendships. That's why I don't need a small group. Uh, but you're gonna realize that people that you might call a friend might not actually be a friend. They might just be a companion. And you need to be willing to take that next step and put yourself in, a, in an environment where those companionships can grow into and flourish into a real 
friendship. Um, I think it's confusing sometimes because sometimes we call a person a friend based on proximity, uh, based on like they are in and near your life. Like they are with you, right? You, you might work with them and, and uh, you might see them. They might be a literal neighbor in your neighborhood next to your house or something. So you see them proximity wise. They're like in your life, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are a friend. And, and so we can be confused uh, by that. And sometimes that actually hurts us because we think someone is a friend, their proximity was there, but then we go through something we realize they really weren't. And so we need to be aware of that. We also need to be aware that sometimes we call a person a friend because they're present in our life. They are there in our life, right? And so that might just be a family member or just somebody that you know, you've known for a really long time. They've been present in your life. And sometimes we just assume that because they've been present in my life that they're actually a friend, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're a true friend. Maybe you had a, a girlfriend when you were you know, dating in, in high school or something or college or just recently and you, you heard that statement because you were going through a tough time and she said, I want you to know I'm gonna be there for you. And that made you feel good, right? Uh, ladies, you probably had a boyfriend and he, he, he said, I'm gonna be there for you. But what does there for you really mean? What if I don't need you there? What if I need you here. I, I don't really know what I'll be there for you actually means. Does that mean that this person is somebody you can count on? We aren't sure. But what I do know is that presence and proximity is not the, they are not the main indicators that we should be looking at to determine who really is a friend in our life. And so if you've got your Bibles, Matthew 22, this is going to be a very familiar passage to you today. So what does it mean to be a good friend? Jesus is asked a really important question. He's asked what's the greatest commandment in the entire book of the law? And Jesus answers with this statement. A a, a man comes to him and says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus talks about two important relationships here. The first one is our vertical relationship to God. Jesus says, love God first. And the second is this horizontal relationship. He says, love your neighbor So in other words, love your acquaintances, love your companions, love your friendships that are around you. Notice he doesn't say the greatest commandment is to feel God's love for you. He doesn't say that you need to understand God's love for you. No, he says, give your love to God first. And he doesn't say find neighbors that will love you and support you. He he doesn't say find these people that will accept you for you. No, he says both relationships, you are supposed to give love. The point of the commandment is that you must be willing to give love, not seek relationships in order to receive love. And so, 
Let's break this down a little bit uh, today and, 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 and really begin to kind of dive into it. Um, I would say first and foremost, if you wanna take some notes today, if you wanna be a good friend, a good friend seeks Jesus first. And so the most important and the most urgent need that every single one of us in the room and who are watching online today need to do today is to commit our life to Jesus to love Jesus and to put Jesus first in our life. That's the most important thing anyone here today can do. If you don't hear anything else I say about relationships, that is the thing that you must understand. And if you're a Christian, the most urgent and most important thing you need to work on and do today is deepen your love for Jesus today. Every day we're seeking him we're growing, we're trying to understand him more and, and we're trying to give more of our heart and love to him. Because listen, the best friends are the ones that are friends with Jesus. 100% in every area of, uh, or phase of your life, those are gonna be the best friends in your life. You know, when you are friends with Jesus, you start to have all of your needs really and truly met in him because ultimately he's the one that meets that deep desire in you to feel important or, or to you know, have, uh, be affirmed or, or to, to find your identity. Like, who are you? you know, and discovering who you are can only be found on the deepest level in and through Jesus. And that's why it's important that we are finding our security in him. We're finding our identity in him because if we aren't, then you'll just make friends just to have your own needs met. You'll mistreat people your entire life because you'll just be using people to, to meet your emotional needs and in a true friendship, you're not friends because of what you get, you're friends because of what you actually share with each other. We have a tendency to think friendships are about getting love and not giving and sharing love. Instead of the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, we say, I need to feel that God loves me with all his heart first. And instead of love your neighbor as yourself, we say, I need to know that my neighbor loves me first. We get it completely backwards. The greatest direction Jesus ever gave us wasn't think about how God loves you and find someone that will love you. No, it was give your love to God first. So a good friend is gonna seek Jesus first. So here's a question. When you go through a problem, uh, do you tend to turn to a friend first for comfort or do you first turn to God? That's a great indication of, of where Jesus is in your life today. Because I think a lot of people will, instead of running to God first and seeking him first, they're quick to pick up their phone, they're quick to text a friend to get a friend's support or to get a friend's advice. Instead of loving the words of Jesus first, do you tend to love the words of a friend first? And I think that's what we've got to wrestle with today because it's time for us to really, if that's you, to develop the habit of turning first and foremost to Jesus, seeking him, running to his word, 
in prayer, giving that issue, giving that problem to him, really wrestling with that issue before we run to a friend. In fact, if you're a friend, a real friend that's gonna seek Jesus first and somebody comes to you and says, oh, I've got this issue and you're never gonna believe what happened to me and I'm so hurt or I'm so this and, and they start talking to you and, and they, you know, they, they want answers. They want something that they can hang on to, right? And a lot of times our first response is, is to like, like say what we think. But what if instead of just saying what you think, you said, well, what, what does God say about that? What is God telling you? And your friend might say, oh, well, I, 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 don't, I haven't really prayed about it or, or I, I haven't really read the Bible. I, I really don't know. Then you can say, well, before I share my two cents, why don't we turn to God's word? Why don't you, why don't you spend some time in prayer, hear from God first, and then I can come alongside and kind of fill in whatever gaps that this, you know, whatever I have to offer you, I'll offer to you. But let's first turn to Jesus because if we're gonna be a good friend, a good friend seeks Jesus first. And then secondly, a good friend takes you to Jesus. A good friend takes you to Jesus. Now, you might remember this story Jesus is teaching and it's so crowded in this house and people are flooded in the room and, and they're pouring out into the streets and the crowd is just kind of bearing in on him. And then these, these four men bring their friend to Jesus. You remember this story? It's in Mark chapter two. It says, and they came, the friends, bringing to him, bringing to Jesus a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. You remember the story, right? These four guys, they show up with their friend who's, who's paralyzed, but, but they get there and Jesus is teaching and the crowds are so massive and, and uh, they, they, they can't get their friend to Jesus. And so instead of giving up, they say, our friend is worth the risk right now. Let's take a risk. It's gonna be a financial risk because if we do what I'm about to do, if, if what I'm thinking we're gonna do happens, we're gonna have to repair this house. If we do this, we might get in trouble. They might call, I don't know, the authorities are gonna come because we destructed some property or whatever, but, but we're, we're gonna go for it here. And so they can't get to Jesus. So they go on top of the roof of the house that he's in. And that would have been made of like branches and, and clay and a bunch of grass. And so it was strong enough to walk on, but, but also uh, made in such a way that you could actually dig through it. And that's exactly what they did. They dig through it and they lower their friend with the rope. Imagine the scene who was paralyzed on a mat. They're lowering this guy to Jesus right in front of his eyes. And, and Jesus is obviously impressed. It says, when Jesus saw their faith. Now that could mean that Jesus saw collectively all five of the men's faith. He saw the paralytic's faith and the four friends and, and, and what they were doing, he saw their faith. Or it could mean that Jesus saw their faith. In other words, just the four friends. The four friends having so much faith that Jesus was gonna do something great for their friend that they dig a hole through a roof and Jesus saw their faith and he was impressed by that. Regardless, Jesus does something that should shock every single one of us. What does he do? Jesus turns to the paralytic now and he said, son, 
your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Question, did the paralytic show up for forgiveness? (laughs) No, he did not. He showed up for healing, but Jesus gives him both. Listen, some of you are here for healing, but what you really need is God's forgiveness. Some people are watching today online or maybe you came here today because you're seeking Jesus for something. You have some kind of need. You have something in your life and, 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 and you need God, right? And, and that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. Uh, that's part of the reason why we're all here. Like we, God moves here. We preach the word of God, we sing, we, we serve together, we encourage each other. This is a place where God moves, God works, God changes. We see it every single week. So yeah, we come with that desire, with that need. But what I want you to hear is that when Jesus, when, that when you seek Jesus, he doesn't just give you what you think you need. He'll give you what you really need. And sometimes you think you need healing and God says, okay, I'll, 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 I'll do that. But what you really need is forgiveness. Sometimes what we think we need is completely different from what we really need, right? Parents, you know this, when you have kids, they think they need more candy, they think they need more Xbox, they think they need to stay up late, but what they really need is, is food that will nourish their bodies. What they really need is sleep so that they can rest, right? We, we know this as parents, and sometimes we forget this concept when it comes to our relationship with God. And so every single one of us, we must understand that God is gonna give us what we really need today. So question, as Christians, if we're thinking in terms of being a good friend and, and, and being a good friend means that we're gonna take our friends to Jesus, the question then has to be, how can we honestly say that we are friends with someone and not know if they have given their life to Jesus? If you're a Christian and you, and you haven't done the work of digging the hole through the roof to take your friend to Jesus and you just kind of avoid the spiritual conversations, you are no friend at all. What about friends who are Christians that, that do come to you in pain? If you wanna be a, a real friend when someone is hurting, they come to you, they have an issue, you don't need to try to be the hero for them. You need to encourage them to go to healing uh, in Jesus. You need to encourage them to open up their Bible. You need to encourage them that you'll read the Bible with them, that you'll pray with them. Why? Because I don't wanna be the hero. Jesus is the hero. I don't have anything that can solve your issue or problem, but Jesus has everything that can solve every issue and every problem that you have today. And so our job, our role as a good friend is to take our friends to Jesus. Your uh, friends need more than encouraging words from you. As great as your encouraging words are, they need more of Jesus. You need more of Jesus. That's why we're here. And that's why in, in, in the book of Proverbs, we see this famous uh, um, line and, and, and Pastor Heath shared it last week and he did such a great job. We're so uh, blessed to have him uh, on our staff. He reminded us that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So this is what real friends do. They, 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 they take each other to Jesus. They, they sharpen each other. And if you're gonna sharpen each other, you've gotta be willing to, to, to take your friend to actually who Jesus is because he's the, he's the one that does 
the sharpening. So if you're taking notes there, this means that the, the relationship is not spiritually passive. You, you aren't just talking about sports all the time. You're not just talking about the weather. You're not just talking about work or making money. No, you actually read the Bible together. You actually ask questions about faith. You, you're actually trying to go, grow and you're actually trying to get more of Jesus. You're trying to act more like Jesus. It's not spiritually passive. There's too many you know, uh, I, I believe Christians in churches all over that, that just want to stay surface level and they just want to stay high level. Let's not talk about anything real. Let's not talk about any problems. Let's pretend like we have it all together. Let's pretend like our marriage is great, even though it stinks. Let's pretend like our kids are wonderful and, and, and let's pretend like there, there, there's nothing, no, nope, nothing going on here. Got it all figured out. That's the most sinful way to live your life because not only is it hurting you and hurting your family, it's, it's destroying your relationship with God. It's lying to yourself. I love what Proverbs 27, five says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. The kisses of an enemy may be profuse, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. Mm. That's truth right there. You see, a genuine friend who's really on that level with you, they'll shoot straight with you, right? They'll, they'll tell you what you need to hear even when it hurts. Now, they're not gonna lie to you. They're not gonna try to manipulate you. They're gonna talk to you in love. But, but if they see you in sin, they're gonna be willing to actually have a conversation with you. They're gonna be willing to actually uh, deal with it and not just back off or, or not just lie or, or, or just avoid it. They're not just gonna laugh at your sin and, and laugh at your problems. No, they're, they're actually gonna deal with these issues. The fact is, everybody has blind spots. Every single one of us has areas of our life that we, we think are okay, but that are not very okay. And that's why these godly friendships in our life can be there to kind of point us in the direction and show us that, hey, I can be candid with you. You don't see this, but this is what you're doing to your spouse. This is, this is you, you don't understand this. You think you're just going to work. You just think you're, you're, you're committed, but really your, your idol is work and your idol is money because all you want is more, 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 more. See, that's what a real friend does. So uh, every time we talk about like friendships and, and uh, when it comes to how do, how do we rebuke somebody? Like, oh, that's a sharp word. I don't wanna be rebuking anybody. That sounds a little, a little tough, you know, especially in our soft culture today. You can't say anything without being canceled. And so um, what, do you, what, do you, what do you do? Well, let me give you three quick rules here. If, if you're a friend, if you're trying to take somebody to Jesus, a couple of things that you should re remember and, and, and a couple of things that you should know uh, because you don't wanna start a fight right? You want to help. And so the first thing I would say is if you're going to rebuke a, a friend, you must actually have earned the right to speak into their life. So if you haven't earned the right, then, then don't even try. And so how do you earn the right? Well, you earn the right uh, through building relationship with them, uh, time together. There's trust, there's honesty. Uh, that has been built together. If you're trying to correct somebody that you don't know very well, you, you really will just probably most likely start a fight. Uh, I personally don't listen to anybody who's trying to rebuke me unless I know two things. Number one, I know that they love the vision of Foothills Church. And number two, that they love me. 
If I don't know that you love me and I don't see in your life that you love the vision of FC, then I, I'm not open to that rebuke, right? And so I encourage you, you know, what, what are your two? Like, like that's important. I have to set that boundary. And before I would, would, would rebuke someone uh, close in my life, I would want them to know that I love them and I care about the vision of what God has laid on their heart. But secondly, when you correct, you, you gotta correct people when they're up, not when they're down. So the day the guy loses his job is not the day to confront him about what a terrible husband he is. <laughs> like you're gonna destroy the poor guy. Like, like timing is everything, isn't it? So timing, 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 timing. It's, it's, if you're a golfer, like it's, it's, it, driving is great, but the approach shot is the most important to the, to the whole, right? And so that approach shot, how you approach that conversation when you approach them is key. And then thirdly, you correct in person. So in our culture today, a lot of times we like to correct people via text, uh, via social media. Terrible way to have a conversation with somebody about heavy things. Is anybody with me on that? Can I see a head shake? Can we agree that that is a terrible terrible manipulative way to try to deal with any kind of important uh, confrontational issue is via text or via social uh, media. But then fourthly, I would say you do it and correct in humility. So it's not like I have all the answers or I'm good, I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, In humility, I would go to somebody and I would say, hey, you said X, Y, and Z. And it came across like this. This is how I received it. This is how this person received it. And so that was offensive to me or it was, it was, it was an issue for me, but maybe I misunderstood you. Could you explain what you meant? And what we do with that is, is now we have a conversation with our friend, right? It's not me hammering them with something that they did wrong because if I come in like that, and, and, and by the way, this is great for your spouse as well, if you come in with the axe and you're, or the sledgehammer and you're, you're coming in hard, like you did this and, 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 you, and your spouse might say, whoa, 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 that's not what I meant. That's not what I w- was trying to say, you know? So you come in with a humble heart. What did you really mean? Let me, let me dive into that. Let's have a conversation. And then I can tell you where, where I see or, or, or where uh, I would encourage you uh, to address and, and to work further. And so this is what it means to be a friend, guys. This is what true friendship does. They, they sharpen each other. And so it's not spiritually passive. And so some of you think you have friends, but by my definition from a biblical standpoint today, I would argue that if you are, are in a spiritually passive companionship, it is not a friendship. It's a companionship. Or you might be even acquaintances. But real friendships, when you look at the Bible, means that we are not spiritually passive. We are engaging each other spiritually because we wanna sharpen each other. And here's the other point when it comes to um, uh, helping each other grow. The relationship is not one-sided. It's not one-sided. So friends should sharpen each other. If one person is doing all the sharpening, uh, that's not a friendship, that's a mentorship. Now, mentoring relationships are fantastic. I hope everybody has a mentor, but it's different than a friendship because in a friendship, individuals sharpen each other and they actually are standing visually, if you wanna kind of picture this, we stand shoulder to shoulder, right? And when you stand shoulder to shoulder with someone, you are mutually 
um, sharpening each other. Sometimes in a so-called friendship, what you really have is, <clears throat> excuse me, is a dysfunctional relationship. You have one person who is super needy and super clingy. And so, you know, they, they uh, like this person who they call their friend because their, their friend brings stability in their life. Their friend brings advice in their life. And they, they end up looking to that person essentially as a functional savior because every time there's a problem or every time there is an issue, they run to their friend for help. And instead of running to Jesus, instead of getting you know, godly advice, they run to this friend. And their ultimate desire then becomes like their friend's advice and not necessarily uh, God's advice and what they really need. And so this friend is, the, the other friend is, is glad sometimes uh, to have that needy friend because perhaps her struggle is that she needs to be the hero. And she has this desire and this need to fix people. And, and some people just have that need to feel like they're saving people. Uh, the, the, the hero would never say it that way, but based on their actions, um, they, they feel the need to actually uh, be this person that's giving all this advice all the time because it makes them feel valuable. And so there's this, there's this weird dynamic that's sometimes happening. They're both using each other in unhealthy uh, ways to accomplish really sinful desires. And so we wanna be aware of that. Real friends sharpen each other. They take each other to Jesus. And the way that I can sharpen my friend is by using the right kind of rock. His name is Jesus. His word is the Bible. And I can't be a real friend unless I'm willing to take my friend to Jesus. And the greatest environment to be able to do this, the greatest environment that facilitates this kind of relationship is a small group. It's beautiful. In a small group, you're, you're both saying, we wanna grow. You're both saying, you know, we, we're here to grow. We want someone to sharpen us. We wanna grow closer to Jesus. And yes, we're opening up ourselves to be sharpened. And I wanna come and be here so that I might be able to help sharpen other people. That's the beautiful thing about the small group environment. And every single one of us need that environment. Every single one of us. There's no one here that would say, or, or, or that could prove to me biblically, emotionally, spiritually, that you don't need that type of relationship in your life. We, some people grew up in churches that, you know, Sunday morning was church. And, and, and the only thing about church was Sunday morning. And that mentality has kind of been ingrained in the South. And so in order to be a Christian, you go to church, right? And, and that's kind of the only thing that we can really monitor in a person's life if, if they're spiritual is if they go to church. Now, yeah, this is part of it. But if all you experience at Foothills Church are these rows, you're missing what circles can provide in your life. You're missing the growth. You're missing the depth of friendships that God wants you to experience. And so every single one of us need that opportunity. Thirdly, a good friend is actually confidential. A good friend is confidential. Question, how many of you are good at keeping secrets? You know, so, some of you are really good at keeping secrets. Some of you are really bad at keeping secrets. And I'm not talking about a secret from your wife that's gonna get you in trouble, not that kind of secret. I'm talking about when a friend comes up to you and says, hey, 
can I share something in confidence with you? In that moment, there are some people that have what I would call or what Jerry Seinfeld would call a vault, right? They got a vault. You tell me the, the information, I can lock it away in the vault. I don't tell anybody I'm used to that kind of thing, not even my wife, right? But there are some people who might say, yeah, I'll put it in the vault, but everybody knows the combination to that vault, right? All it takes is a little bit of, did you hear? And I heard this and oh, well, let me just tell you what I just found out, right? And then blah, they just come out with it, right? If we wanna be a good friend, this is obvious. Like we, we have to be someone who is willing to be able to uh, hold a confidence when someone shares an issue or a problem that we can keep it confidential. Uh, there are some people that like to spiritualize what they know. And so they might even cryptically share a prayer request, right? And they might even do that on social media. Hey, I've got a prayer request. Please be in prayer for this guy I know. He's a preacher of a large church in Maryville. He's got four kids. They're renovating their kids' space, but I can't say who it is, right? Captain Obvious, nobody knows now. Why do we do that? There is something prideful that lives within all of our hearts. When we have information, we just feel the need to share that information. Because when I know something you don't know, it makes me higher than you. My pride is inflamed. I know something that you don't know. And so wait until you hear this. And when I share this, you're gonna go, oh my gosh, how did you know? And can you believe that? And that's just gonna be this juicy bit of what? Gossip, right? What's the Bible say about gossip? A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. So who do you wanna be? <laughs> who do you wanna be? You wanna be a trustworthy person? Do you wanna be someone who in confidence can, 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 can hear some confidential information and, and have the maturity and the wisdom to know that this is an information that other people need to hear. Despite the pride that flares up inside of me that says, ah, did you hear, did you know, I know something that you don't know. And if you hear this, man, I'm gonna feel good when I share it. Like you're gonna be able to, to, to say, you know what, that's, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. So confidence is so important in friendship because without it, nobody will be vulnerable. Nobody will open up. Nobody's gonna share their true struggles. And, and that's why we, we stay on the surface level with so many people. Instead of actually taking the relationship to true friendship status, we stay as companions because we don't trust each other. Or we have this fear in us that if I do share, like then, then they won't keep it confidential. So there's fear, there's mistrust, we love to hang out, we love to talk, we do a lot of fun things together. You might even go on vacation with these people. From the outside looking in, it looks like you are great friends, but you aren't because you don't take each other to Jesus. You don't sharpen each other spiritually. I think so many people are afraid just to be vulnerable. They're afraid to share what's really going on in their life. And you know who you please the most when you live that way? His name is Satan. And that's exactly where he wants you to live. He wants you to live keeping everything inside. He doesn't want you to share any difficulties. He doesn't want you to open up to anybody. He doesn't want you to be vulnerable. He doesn't want you to share your issues. He thinks and wants you to think that you can keep it all inside. You're gonna be able to take care of it. 
You can keep it all hidden inside of you if you want, but you won't grow as much and you won't make any real friends. You'll have plenty of acquaintances. You'll have a handful of companions, but you'll live your entire life and you'll never have a real friend. The greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbors, your acquaintances, your companions, your friends. And we do that in a godly way that first and foremost puts Jesus first. And then we take our friends to Jesus. And as you do, you talk about spiritual things. You talk about spiritual issues. You talk about real problems. You open up and you're vulnerable. And when that happens, you keep that confidential. That's what real friendship really looks like. And the great news for everybody here today and watching online today is that small groups start in the next two weeks. And you have an opportunity to take a step of faith and say, you know what? You know what? Maybe I'll take God's word uh, for real. Maybe I'll take a step and say, you know what? I've had a lot of people hurt me. I've got a lot of companions, but I don't have a real godly friendship like you're talking about, but I'd like to have one. And maybe for the first time today, or, or maybe for a second time, because you've gone that route and it wasn't that great. But for a second time now, you'll take that step and say, you know what, I will join a group. I'm, I'm gonna take a step of faith. And with a bunch of acquaintances in the room, I'm gonna pray that a friend might develop out of that. Now, let me close with this. I wanna share a story. In Hebrews 10, verse 25, it says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So let us not give up meeting together. Now this is a, a valuable verse uh, all the time, but especially right now, because this verse in it isn't quantified by meet. Don't give up meeting together unless you're really busy. And if this is a busy season for you, we understand. <laughs> no, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, you know, uh, let, let's not give up meeting together uh, unless you aren't an extroverted person. You tend to be more introverted than you're cool. Just, you know, do your thing. This is just for extroverted people. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, let us not give up meeting together if the media has scared you to death over a virus. It doesn't say that. No, he says, do what it takes to keep meeting, to stay connected. If your immune system is compromised, that means you have to do the hard work of connecting in a small group via FaceTime, Zoom call, something like that. It's not ideal. It's not necessarily the, the, the greatest thing, right? I mean, you would much rather be in person, but is it biblical to do whatever it takes to meet together? Yeah, do whatever it takes. We'll wear whatever mask you wanna wear, you know, you have a gallon of hand sanitizer and take it everywhere, put it on your belt and you can just pump it on your hands everywhere you go. Whatever you wanna do, do what it takes to what? Stay connected and meet together. So that's a biblical mandate. It's not just a good idea. And if culture doesn't shift and things don't change, we're, we're looking at social distancing for the next several months. I mean, this, this could go on into the spring. So are we just going to stay hidden for the next eight to 12 months? Listen, we've got to meet together. And, and, and that might mean you've got to get creative. That might mean you, you, you've got to 
you know, get babysitters that you, you know, I don't know what it means for you. It might mean that it's gonna take more work, but the challenge for every single one of us is if you're not connected in a small group, it's time to get in a group. It's time to take that next step and develop some relationships that are gonna grow your faith, might save your marriage, help you be a better parent, but most importantly, point you to Jesus. I wanna share a story today of a couple who just did that. They took that risk. Uh, People they didn't know very well in a small group, they took that chance, they took that risk. And as a result, uh, not long after that, a tragedy really kind of uh, fell into their life. And and, uh, we're gonna see how God ministered to them. So guys, let's go ahead and play that video. We had recently moved to Knoxville and we had someone uh, just refer us to Child Foothills in Maryville. Uh, and we came, I think pretty much from the first visit, we felt like it was the place we wanted to be. Um, had an atmosphere, a very welcoming atmosphere. We joined a small group last fall. It was a new small group. Shortly after we found out we were pregnant, found out, uh, I guess right around the first trimester, that there would probably be some health issues um, if, if at that point, if the baby made it at all. And so we found out at close to 19 weeks that um, he had passed. That also happened within a week or two weeks of us starting uh, our newest small group. And so that, I guess, was just a perfect time for us that everyone kind of rallied around us. And I think they definitely carried the burden with us. Um, I think that it was really um, encouraging for us to go to a place and share real true feelings of how we, how we were feeling. They loved on us very well. We felt very cared for. And we pretty much knew from that first meeting with our current small group that this was going to be a really good one. Everybody was around the same age um, and it was just very easy. So I think in going through everything, it wasn't hard to be vulnerable. It wasn't hard to just share our fears, our frustration. So I think that was huge just that we had somebody other than one another to walk through that with. The one thing I've learned being here at Foothills part of having a successful, in my opinion, small group is being vulnerable and um, being willing to go there. Uh, And the earlier you get there, probably the better and the better off your small groups. No matter what life is doing for you now, if it's easy, if it's hard, you're going to want a small group, a community of people to be there when you need it because you don't know when that time's going to come.